In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. When does the phrase stay in your lane, bro, not apply to the truth? Man, are you wondering, guys, what in the world has happened to the world in the last three years? It seems like in the last three years, all of a sudden we've got phrases popping up such as feeling safe, white privilege, systemic racism, or how about this, replacing the word husband or wife with the word partner. Are you wondering where those phrases come from? They come from a worldview called intersectionality. And what we're going to do today is we will unpack why intersectionality is antithetical to biblical Christianity and the reasons why. Hang on for the education of your life. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. I salute you. Hey, guys, welcome to another episode of the Men in Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your guide and host of today's number one podcast on Spotify for Christian men. Our goal is to help you live your life in victory in the stress bubble of life. Guys, that is not a heart. That is a bubble. And beyond. Thank you for coming on and tuning on to the show today. Guys, I want to start today's podcast with jumping into a hero story from a guy that wrote to us on Instagram named The Sandman. <laughs> the Sandman writes, Brother, please never stop your ministry. I get such a blessing from it all the time and more guidance than you can ever imagine, so thank you for what you guys are doing. I pray not only that I'm a better man, but a better Christian man, husband, and father. I know I'm nowhere near where God wants me to be, and honestly, I doubt I'll ever will be, but I try. Sandman. Hey, guy, thanks so much for reaching out. Uh, we sure appreciate it. Guys, if you hit us up at menandarena.org with your hero story and we use it on our podcast, just reach back out to us with your physical address. We'll send you some swag. Men, stay tuned until the end of this podcast and we will unveil our newest man law. You are going to love this one. It has something to do with my shirt. Hey, guys, thank you for making the Men in the Arena podcast Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Let me bring our guest on the show today, my good friend, Elmo Winners. Elmo is the founder of The Kingdom Group, an international organization that's dedicated to racial healing, unity, and reconciliation. The Kingdom Group brings diverse groups of people together for dialogue and relationship building. He's been in ministry over 40 
five years as a church planter, a pastor, a Bible Institute instructor, and a hospice chaplain. Elmo serves on the board of directors of National Coalition of Ministries to Men alongside of me. So that's where I got to know Elmo. Uh, he's married to his lovely wife, Therese. Honestly, you guys, she's a saint. I'm just going to stop there. Uh, <laughs> they, re they reside in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and they're the proud parents of five children, nine grandchildren. Elmo, it is so good to have you on the phone today, brother. How you doing, man? I am doing well. Let me say Happy New Year to you and all of your audience. It's just a blessing to be here today. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. We've got a very difficult topic to 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 help educate our men about. And I want to stop here and just say this. So our lane, Elmo, you and I sh share a similar lane. We have a passion for men's ministry. So our, our lane is helping men to thrive within this stress bubble of life to be the fathers, the husbands, the community members, the church church leaders that God has called them to be. However, however that we are in that lane, we are all on a highway, and that highway is the highway to heaven, the highway of Jesus. I am a follower. I am on the highway along with you. I'm on the highway of Jesus before I'm on any other lane. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to get out of our lane and get onto the highway and we're going to explain this principle, this worldview that's in the middle of a revival right now called intersectionality. And we're going to talk today about why it is antithetical to biblical Christianity. You know, in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John wrote this. And I love this because John, this, this was written between 80 and 90-ish AD, and John was battling a guy named Serenthus. Serenthus mm -hmm. had introduced a doctrine into the church called Gnosticism, <clears throat> which is why John wrote the Gospel of John, the first, second, and third John. He was hammering Serenthus. And what we're doing today is we're going to hammer this thing called intersectionality. So here's what John wrote in 1 John 4 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see they, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. And a lot of our guys on the show today, Elmo, are wrestling with why their spirit is so unraveled every time they hear these buzzwords like white privilege or mm -hmm. anti-racism. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to come on the show today because you really have a lot more expertise and you're a man of color. You've experienced the dark side of racism and mm -hmm. I want to have you come on the show. So I, I just really appreciate you being here today. Thanks again. Uh, we were excited that you invited us back again to be here. And I just think that what we're dealing with it's so critical right now that people need to be equipped with knowledge and not be uh, moved or disturbed or made fearful by the things they don't know. So we will help to educate some people today. I, I believe so. And you sent me a list of usually I send the rapid fire words out, but you sent me a list. So I'm going to I'm going to run through a couple of these key phrases and words. And I want you just to unpack them real quick. And then we're going to get into the interview questions. Is that all right? That's good. So the first one is, and again, when I use the phrase intersectionality, I'm really talking about wokeism, critical mm -hmm. social justice, mm -hmm. social justice, uh, critical theory, these things. So when when you hear the phrase critical social justice or CSJ, mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Actually, what it means to me is a rewording of the critical race theory, mm. uh, something that had its origin so many um uh, decades ago uh, under Marx, and we know it to be Marxism. And what's happened is that this critical race theory has morphed into these words that you have mentioned a moment ago, social justice, wokeism. When I hear these words, what comes to mind is critical race theory, mm -hmm. repackaged, 
sounding better, but it's the same old animal. Yeah, and I'll use that. I'll use the phrase intersectionality because intersectionality mm-hmm. includes not only race but gender and sexual Absolutely. issues. So uh, yep. that's really good. So how about how about uh, conflict theory? Conflict theory again is one of the buzzwords that's come out of this uh, warring that goes on from its origin under Marx between the capitalists, those who have. And the workers, those who don't have. So without getting into a whole lot of detail, I want to go back to intersectionalism for just a moment mm-hmm. and say that the thing that we have to keep in mind, even with conflict theory, is the fact that no longer is it uh, a focus on race, but now we're focused on the gender. We're focused on sexual orientation. We're, we're focused on everything that can divide. That's what mm-hmm. intersectionality does. It divides us along uh, so many different lines, and I believe that they're inventing these things all the time. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, you and I are both big fans of Vody Bauckham yes. and his book, Fault Lines. And as you know, Vody Bauckham is a black man who mm-hmm. was raised in South Central L.A. by a single mom in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. This guy's uh, he's experienced everything that you and I uh, would imagine he experienced. And he wrote this put simply intersectionalities about multiple layers of oppression that minorities suffer. For instance, a black person has one layer of oppression. A mm-hmm. black woman has two, a black Absolutely. lesbian was, woman has three, etc. He said, our problem is social justice versus biblical justice. So that's our intersectionality. So mm-hmm. in, any mm-hmm. last words on conflict theory? No, um, and, and I have to admit, my, my knowledge is not as strong in that area as it is in some of the other phrases that you've used uh, here. But I agree with uh, uh, body a great deal is that we start getting into these layers and layers and layers. And not only does it become confusing, but actually become discouraging if you are one of these groups of people. But you'll never, ever uh, arrive. You'll never, ever achieve or be mm-hmm. successful that's what it's all about it's keeping me believing that i am oppressed because i am a black uh lesbian um uh, a, a person of color who is uh caught up in some other of these separating areas mm-hmm. so no i want to i want to go back to vody bakum for a second is it vadi or vody it's vadi vadi okay vadi sorry I think I've heard to pronounce both and actually having an opportunity last year in 22 to sit and hear him speak in person. I believe they called him Vadi. Okay, I'm going to go with that. Sorry about that. So Vadi says okay. this. He says, quote, I've pursued justice my entire Christian life, yet I'm about as anti-social justice as they come, not because I've abandoned my obligation to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one can see the Lord, quoting Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Mm -hmm. but because I believe the current concept of social justice is incompatible with biblical Christianity. And so our our interview today, uh, we're going to talk about why we as evangelical Bible-believing Christians believe that intersectionality is incompatible with biblical Christianity. But before we do that, I want to ask you something real personal. Will you share some of the things you shared with me offline about growing up as a black man in the South and the things that you've seen? Because you are a victim of some brutal racism. Are you willing to share that today? Oh, absolutely. I am. In fact, my wife is coaching me on how to learn to tell my stories better, and I'm oh, going to get it we eventually. We love our women. Oh, we do. But but I, I'm mindful of the fact that I grew up in a very uh, segregated 
uh, uh, Jim Crow South here in South Louisiana, Baton Rouge, and went to segregated schools. Uh, I remember the phrases of separate but equal, which meant that uh, we were allegedly to have the same equipment, resources, and so on as many of the uh, Caucasian schools, but we did not. We always had hand-me-down material. <clears throat> I never rode a bus to school, not once in 12 years of education. And because buses were not available in the black community, oh, you wow. walked to school. Or if you could afford to catch the city bus, or your parents brought you. I, many, I walked in many miles to school. Uh, and we were always in positions where we felt as if we did not measure up and we did not have what the other kids or our counterparts who were white had. And uh, that was disturbing. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the things I remember most is having grown up, and I think I shared this with you, uh, I got married in 1970 at 20 years old. And I made the uh, mistake, I believe, of, uh, moving into buying a house in an all-white neighborhood. I didn't think nothing of it. It's just life. And my bride and I was maybe a year and a half into our marriage when we experienced firsthand uh, the community around us revolting against that. And uh, we came home one night. We had a, a cross burned in our yard. It was a kerosene-soaked cross the fire department had come out and put out, but it was burned as a sign to say that those neighbors did not want us there. Uh, I have shared with many people my experiences in the 60s, particularly in 1968, graduating from high school. Only a month or so after Martin Luther King was assassinated, uh, but graduating in 68 <clears throat> and believing that I could measure up to be a member of the uh, Louisiana State University LSU marching band, and I did make the band. There were a few of us in the band, a few people of color, and we experienced just racism on first hand from other band members, but more than that, uh, from the people in the stadium, the people on the university campus the day of the games, uh, there were cat calls, people called us everything you can imagine, and uh, but you know one thing, Jim, I use all of that to just become better in this crusade we're in to bring about unity across all of the barriers, uh, especially the ones you bring it up with the uh, intersectionality. So that's some of my stories. Well, it's interesting because you are a man who's given your life to racial reconciliation that you diametrically oppose intersectionality that's the thing i want that's why you're so special to me is that you're a biblical follower of jesus mm -hmm. and and even though you're a man of color <laughs> you and i stand on the same platform together mm -hmm. fighting the same battle because at the end of the day we are involved in an attack and a revival from a what i'm going to call a worldview in fact mm -hmm. vadi bakum says this this new cult he calls it a cult mm -hmm. this new cult has created a new vocabulary that has served as a scaffolding to support what has become an entire body of divinity in the same manner that the new body of divinity comes complete listen to this with its own cosmology original <laughs> sin law mm -hmm. gospel martyrs priests, means of atonement, new birth, liturgy, canon, theologians, and catechism. And mm. that is a powerful statement. And so it would is. you agree with me that this new worldview called intersectionality is indeed a worldview slash cult of some sorts? 
I would, and quite frankly, one of the statements I've made that has caused me some issues is that I do not understand how anyone who can say that they've truly <clears throat> been um, born again, regenerated uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who can actually uh, adapt or embrace uh, intersectionality and anything that separates us. Jesus Christ was, was a unifier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you and I are one. It has nothing to do with the color of our skin. It has to do with the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us from all of this old way of living. How do you repackage that and call it social justice, intersectionality, or whatever you like and continue to live in a state where you are separate from other believers because of race, mm -hmm. because of gender issues? And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Jim, we hadn't talked about this much, but I've, I'm taking a little bit of heat now because I'm even saying to the, the believers that it's time that we as believers make sure that those who are confused about their sexual orientation, those who are caught up in the LBGQT plus, know that we love them. Yes, we love for sure. them. For sure. We love them. We don't, we don't, um, you know, embrace your sin, but we love you because that's what Jesus Christ did. Absolutely. And I'm convinced that that's how we're going to win a lot of these people to Jesus Christ because they believe we hate them. That, that is so, and that's, that's the thing that we need to realize, you know, John MacArthur said, I'm not a huge fan of John MacArthur personally, mm -hmm. but, but he has some good things to say. And one of them was God's justice doesn't need an adjective. So it, it, he's referring mm -hmm. to the word social. So mm -hmm. when in, in mm -hmm. God's economy, we are called to love. And this is part of the problem is a lot of people that wave the flag of Jesus are, are they hate other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we can't hate them. You know, mm -hmm. I love what Billy Graham uh, was on an Oprah Winfrey interview years ago, and she asked him, well, what would you do if one of your kids was a homosexual? And Billy said, without thinking, I'd love him more. Absolutely. And, and I think as a follower of Jesus, so I, I just want guys to realize, even though we are trying to completely deconstruct intersectionality on this podcast, mm -hmm. we will wholly and completely love those who hold to that view because, as my friend Kurt Stone says, they are not the enemy. Mm -mm. They are in bondage. They are mm -hmm. held captive to the mm -hmm. enemy. And so mm -hmm. if we don't have love as our greatest weapon and the word of God as our second greatest weapon, we're in trouble. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. you saying that because I'll be honest with you, and I know you feel the same way. Part of our warrior spirit, we want to just go after them. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. We but can't. we have to realize you have to love these people. So so I want to. what I want to do, Elmo, is I'm going to tap into your expertise. And I've written down five reasons okay. that I believe – intersectionality is uh, a worldview that is completely opposed to Christianity. And I just want to see if you believe these are accurate reasons, and I want you to explain why you believe it. Okay. All right. Are you, you think you got what it takes, man? Think you can handle I hope, it? I you, hope I, hey, you better bring Therese into the room because I need to. <laughs> I need her like next to you right now. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, man. I know. I know. She, she might slap me in, right in front of everybody. Yeah, well, we know? can't have that happen. We can't. <laughs> uh, we, because yeah. you're an oppressor. You're one level above her in the oppression ladder. Oh, right? yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. At least that's my story. I'm sticking to it, okay? <laughs> oh, Hey, here's reason one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Mm -hmm. Reason one. I'm going to start with the Oxford Dictionary definition of social justice. It says this. Okay. Social justice is justice in terms of the distribution of wealth opportunities and privileges within a society 
So that's 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 the very definition from the Oxford Dictionary of Social Justice, aka intersectionality. Here's reason one why I believe intersectionality is anti-biblical. Intersectionality is based on equity, but the Bible teaches equality. In James chapter two, verse eight, mm-hmm. James wrote. And I love this verse when it comes to arguing intersectionality of people. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, which is according to scripture, you -hmm. shall love your neighbor as yourself, you Mm -hmm. are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are Mm -hmm. committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So Mm -hmm. this first reason, equity versus equality, what do you have to say about that? Well, first of all, um, we have to be people promoting equality because that's what we gain in Jesus Christ. Mm. We are made one. Regardless of what you possess, regardless of where you reside, regardless of your name or what side of the track you're on, when you come to Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, all the old things have passed away, New thing, uh, uh, all things have become new. So that means that all that grading people and labeling people and putting people in categories, all of that ends when we come to Christ. We are believers. We are followers of Christ. Jim, I'm equal with you. You're equal with me. Teresa and I are equal. Uh, we may not be the same gender. Uh, we don't have to be the same race, uh, different economical categories, but in Christ, we are one. Mm. When you go back and look at that definition you just gave of equity, it brings into the discussion uh, what you possess, what you have, um, your status, those type of things. I'm telling you, and I will say it over and over and over and over. Marxism says it's the haves against the have-nots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is the, the the rich people against the poor. Uh, it's those who are oppressed versus the oppressors. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference. And Christ makes us one. And I shared this earlier in the meeting. I'll stop talking in just a second, but I get excited sometimes. Like, no, I, this is what we're I want you to unpack oppressed versus oppressors in a little bit. Yes. Share what you have going on. I, I shared with someone in a meeting earlier today that uh, society wants us to believe that if you are the oppressed, as I am labeled by those who look at the color of my skin, there's no way I can ever become uh, a part of the oppressor group because I am uh, I'm bound in this place where I am, and I can never be equal to that guy who's the oppressor. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but the truth of the matter is, in Jesus Christ, again, we are unified. We are one. And uh, that's why Christ prayed that prayer. First, I mean, John 17, 21. Mm-hmm. He knew we would have problems with being one as he and the Father. Yeah, that's so good. Well, you know, and if you look back in biblical times, you've got the Egyptians persecuting the Hebrews. You've got the mm-hmm. Assyrians. You've mm-hmm. got all these people of color oppressing people of color. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, because I'm a white Christian male, I am the apex oppressor. I mean, yeah. and I know that you want to talk smack about white people. So why don't you go ahead and talk some smack? Okay. I want to say, <laughs> I want to say that, and you got to understand, Jim, to many who know me, I'm considered white. Okay. I want you to know that I'm a really? white man. 
Oh yeah, I think I've told you a story about yeah. people who say I am a part of I'm a white supremacist, okay? Because of the fact that I don't uh I don't uh, adhere to the typical beliefs of a lot of people of color. But this whole thing of oppressor and oppressed and oppressed has to do with a target that's on the back of white males, especially in America. Mm. You are the reason, I'm quoting basically those I've read, you're the reason why things are so messed up because white males have ruled everything, they're in charge of everything, and they do everything they can to hold people down. That's the lie that's told that so many people of color, they believe it. Mm -hmm. And don't seek to find out the real facts. I'm not oppressed at all, nor am I an oppressor, nor do I consider my brothers with a little bit lighter hue to be oppressors of me. Well, you know, it's inter I wonder if people get caught in this trap because if, if, if this is about the distribution of wealth, goods, and services and privileges, if I am the recipient of those of other people's wealth, goods, privileges, and services, it creates um, a systemic issue as well, where I'm going to, I want to keep getting those benefits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to step out in biblical Christianity on some level, I'm rejecting that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So that's right. really interesting. What I've seen by those who are in the position you described earlier, who are true believers, uh, the desire to distribute to those who don't have is as great, if not greater in many instances, to them acquiring more, acquiring more. Mm -hmm. It's like um, people accept, okay, I'm in a family that is, that's had um, a, a good track record of handling money, managing money. Okay, we have money, but I will do what I have to do, I can, to help other people not oppress them. And I don't, I don't think people see that side. Jim, we have an organization. Teresa and I truly are black people, believe it or not. And <laughs> we, we just don't wake up every day and put this color on to look the part. And our support is about 98% from people who don't look like us. Mm. And they never question the color of our skin. They never do because they know the condition of our hearts. And that's what's so very important. And they believe in the mission that God has given you, right? They're supporting Absolutely. the mission, not the man. I Absolutely. mean, biblical Christianity supports the mission of God, not the men. And so it doesn't matter if you're blue, purple, white, white, yellow. I mean, it supports the mission. As long as you live out a biblically Christian model, if you were to wake up the other day and go, Therese, I'm out of here. You're out of here. I want to bring in Tommy boy. Mm -hmm. And he's my yeah. new man. Then, then yeah. you're out, bro, because you're not I'm living out. biblically. But reason number two, and we've already talked about this, but okay. reason number two why intersectionality opposes biblical Christianity is because intersectionality teaches the redistribution of goods, privileges, services, and wealth instead of the Bible's teaching of reconciliation of all people. Let me rephrase that. I'm going to get okay. into this Marxism for you. Okay. Intersectionality, in other words, intersectionality does not talk about reform like the Bible does. The Bible teaches reform. Intersectionality teaches revolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So earlier in the podcast, you quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, behold, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. But I know that you have memorized verses 18 to 20, because verses 18 to 20 say, now all these things are from God 
who mm -hmm. reconciled himself through Christ mm -hmm. and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Yes. Namely, yeah. that Paul continues that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them as mm -hmm. he committed to us the word of reconciliation. reconciliation. And then mm -hmm. he goes on and calls us ambassador, ambassadors. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you hear this redistribution versus reconciliation as a man whose whole mission in life is to reconcile. What does that conjure up? I can't get away from the thoughts I have, Jim, about the tools that are used to divide us. Mm. Now, let, let's go back again. This The, the division originally that we talked about, I have talked about or thought about, is that between God and man. Okay, and once I'm reconciled with God, then I am obligated. That's where the ministry of reconciliation comes in. I'm obligated to continue to promote that reconciliation and to be reconciled with my fellow man. That's why our vision says changed hearts and renewed minds building one community. What am I saying? I'm saying that until you have reconciliation with God, we can't come together and build a community of mm -hmm, one. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a one between you and God. Then you are equipped through the Holy Spirit to go through things, whatever's necessary to be one with your fellow man. Wow, this is so powerful. I'm going to ask you about this, and I don't know the answer to this. Okay. A lot of times I'll know the answer before I ask the question. Okay. But I don't know the answer to this. So in, I'm hoping in, I know the answer. Okay. I, I hope you do too, because otherwise it's <laughs> going to be a very awkward podcast. So, so, so when we talk about this, uh, this goal of revolution versus reform, uh, we talk about this redistribution instead of reconciliation. There's a phrase that has popped up in the last couple of years, and it's really bothered me. And it's bothered me because I can't understand the difference. And I need you to help me, bro. Okay. So I've always said, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I don't, I don't care what color you are. I judge men according Martin Luther King Jr. Said, I don't judge men by the color of their skin, but the quality of their character. Right. That's mm -hmm. kind of a racist comment by Martin Luther King Jr. Because he's still judging them. People would say you shouldn't judge him for anything, not even their character. <laughs> but here's what, here's what I'm saying that tongue in cheek. So don't, yeah. I don't need all your comments after this, you guys. So, um, but yeah. here's my question. I'm confused about this. I've always considered myself that I'm not a racist, but, but now I'm being told that's not good enough. I have to be anti-racism. So how does that play into this redistribution thing? And I honestly don't know the answer. I'm asking you uh, as a brother and a friend. I've come across of late the expression that uh, all white males are part of the racial problem in America regardless of if you are knowledgeable of it or not, you are a racist simply because you happen to be white. This is told a lot. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this and I'll come back to answer your question. And the real problem I have with that is that so many people who are of the lighter hue, they buy into that yes. and they go through the guilt. And I, I mean, we've, we've seen older people apologizing to people of color and I've actually shared with uh, an entire old, mature audience of white people and have them know, you don't do that. You don't have to do that. There's no reason for you to do that. Okay. But let's go back again. Ask me the question one more time. I got carried away. Yeah, no, so, no. Yeah. So why am I bothered as a follower of Jesus by the, by the phrase, 
it's not good enough to be to not be a racist. You have to be anti-racism. Why does that bother me so much as a believer? Because we are being taught by uh, the theorists out there, the people who promote the intersectionality, that there is such a thing as anti-racism. And this is, in fact, I have a, I, I want to share where some company was um, in the government actually had their white males to go through this program that you're talking, that you're speaking. Uh, let's see, it's a company that does the nuclear uh, armament for uh, the United States. They sent their white male executives to a three-day re-education camp where they were told that white male culture was akin to KKK, white supremacists, and mass killings. And the executives were then forced to renounce their white male privilege and write letters of apologies to fictitious women and people of color. Until you take some action to denounce your whiteness, to many, then you are still a racist and you have not exercised any anti-racism. So in other words, in other words, to not be a racist is a biblical term, but anti-racism is revolutionary, thus intersectional. So it's, it's saying you need to be a revolutionary. You need to create a revolution by being a um, militant anti-racist. Is that what I hear you saying? Basically, yes. Yeah. You have to denounce. Here's another one. Please help. Uh, just bear with me. I got illustrations like crazy. The Treasury Department uh, held a training session telling their staff members that virtually, listen to this, all white people contribute to racism and that they must, this is what I was talking about, that they, that they must convert everyone in the federal government to the ideology of anti-racism. So in other words, you have to denounce your white privilege. You have to own up to the fact that your, part, your white culture is a part of racism and do stupid stuff like write letters. You know, I mean, do stupid stuff. Like that's gonna make a difference. Well, here, here's the problem with that biblically. Biblically, the moment I denounce my pigment, in that exact moment, I am denouncing the creative genius of the God who made me, according to Psalm 139, that mm -hmm. says, I am fearfully and wonderfully, wonderfully made, made when you wove me in my secret place. So the moment I denounce, uh, here, here's another thing, the moment I denounce like the wrinkles on my forehead or, or the the broad shoulders god gave me or the or the 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 my brown hair the moment i denounce anything that god mm -hmm. gave me is the moment i lose faith in the creator mm -hmm. who designed me i same lose faith with, in his ability same, yeah same thing with the sexual whole thing the gender thing you know we got children who've been told three four five years old that God made a mistake. You really were supposed to be a girl and you came out in the body of a boy. That did, that's total, uh, just ludicrous. It's, it's asinine, totally it's insanity. And 
again, it comes back to this, and this is and this is what I want people to understand. It's coming from a space of people who do not follow Jesus. In fact, I'm going to get exactly. into this a little bit later. They're actually strategically opposed to mm-hmm. Christianity, but we're not going to get there yet. But mm-hmm. see, it's it's the space that people are coming from mm-hmm. that that we're talking about here. So let's look at reason number three, which we've already talked about this a little bit, but I think we need to dive a little deeper. Reason okay. number three why intersectionality opposes biblical Christianity is because, and we've talked about this, but it places the Christian man, so now we're moving beyond white, the Christian man as systemic racism's apex predator. So it's not just the white man, if he's a white Christian man. Mm-hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So, yeah, so the, the white Christian man is the apex predator here. So it's mm-hmm. not just the white, the white man is not the apex predator. It's a white white. Christian man. Mm-hmm. And so historically, though, when I think of the hospitals in Hindu nations that white Christian men or, or just Christian men have put in there, when I think of fresh water in Africa, when I think mm-hmm. of medical aid to Islamic nations, these are all from believers. When I think of mm-hmm. the gospel of Luke, Luke wrote that gospel to Gentiles. And that mm-hmm. gospel, in that gospel, he highlights women more than any other gospel. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus freed women. Yes. From the yoke yes. of slavery and oppression, right? From yes. men of color, Jewish mm-hmm. men, you know, mm-hmm. Roman men. I mean, you know, type of thing. And so biblical Christianity to me is the most freeing thing to ever happen to this planet. So can you walk us through this, this place that intersectionality <laughs> – will you walk us through this space that intersectionality boasts that Christian men are – are the ultimate apex predator? Well, first of all, the difference between where we are, Jim, and those who follow that theory or that teaching is the Holy Spirit, is God himself. Uh, We've been freed. You use that word freed. That's a great Mm -hmm. word. We've been freed from a lot of this, this thinking, a lot of these theories, a lot of this wacko stuff because of our relationship with the Lord. Yes. Yes. We're talking about people that don't know the Lord, and they have made themselves available to all manner of thoughts and teachings. I'm going back to this gender thing. I can't let that go in that a parent, a real genuine parent could just allow their son or daughter to choose their sex to choose what they want to be in life. It's asinine. Mm -hmm. It goes against everything you can imagine as far as um, God being a part of our lives. So I believe that's the difference, Jim. Uh, We can't wrap our heads around this because of the fact that we've been freed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to to see things as they really are. And these other people have been blind. Yeah. You know, the word says the devil is able to make himself appear as an angel of light. So people think that they're serving something or serving nothing, or they don't need anything, or they're their own God, and they get caught up in just nonsense. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So Vadi Bakum now is in Africa. He's a he's a he's a I think he's a dean of biblical studies or he's he's a, he's an he's administrator at a university. And the interesting thing to me is, you know, a lot of these thoughts are flowing out of academia. Mm-hmm. In America, that is very short-sighted and doesn't see the global picture, Absolutely. nor do they see the history. I mean, really, 
Uh, I would say this to anybody who's in academia, you need to educate yourselves because mm -hmm. you're either ignorant or you're purposely mm -hmm. doing something diabolical. So mm -hmm. as an educator, shame on you for being ignorant. Don't teach Absolutely. if you're ignorant. I agree. Okay? I and agree. if you have an agenda, you will be held accountable by God for that. But Vadi writes this. He says, and so coming from a world perspective, he's in, mm -hmm. in Africa. He travels mm -hmm. all around the world. He says in his book, Fault Lines, I have come to realize that culture does not matter. That not all cultures are equal, that Christian culture, this is powerful, uh, Elmo, mm -hmm. Christian culture has produced the highest levels of freedom and prosperity and the lowest levels of corruption and oppression in the world, mm -hmm. and that transforming culture is laudable and worthwhile goal. Isn't that Amen. powerful? That is powerful, very powerful. And so, yeah, go ahead. And would be rejected by those who, again, don't understand or cannot grasp uh, the belief of following Christ. You know, you, you were talking, and I'm, I, I got a bunch of notes here. I'm, I'm just get excited when I hear you say something that comes from my notes. Uh, this whole thing of uh, the uh, critical race theory or intersectionality we're talking about but was birthed after coming from Marx and mm -hmm. the whole Marxism thing, but it found a home in academia. That's where it was. It's It's on the college campuses. And it has slowly uh, moved out of there now, like into our government. The government is just pathetic when it comes to trying to do its part to make all of us, I don't know, um, whatever it's trying to do to make us, hmm. uh, um, uh, I guess, good people, right people, whatever. But it's, it's ridiculous because going back to what I call critical race theory, when you consider that, when you consider the Marxist um, origin it had, every nation that has tried this has failed. There's been nothing but disaster. And this thing has come into America now, and we got the educated uh, uh, people saying that this is what has to happen in order to level the playing field. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm not a big fan of university education anymore because students are coming out completely deconstructed theologically mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. tons of mm -hmm. debt and no job. So mm -hmm. the, the, we're got, we're coming to a day of reckoning with educators. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear somebody tell me they're an educator, a college educator, I kind of think either you're in the belly of the beast brother, or you're, mm -hmm. you're a person who I deeply oppose philosophically and theologically. But yeah. so here's my question. So was Marx a, a man of color? No. Where, where, where did he, what country is he from? Karl Marx is what? German? So my question is, here's a European white guy. Yeah. So why are why are people openly following? You know, BLM was founded by, which I won't even tell you what BLM stands for because I don't want to give them the time of day, <laughs> but it was founded by three black lesbian women, and they actually have Marxism quoted in their, they have Absolutely. it quoted in their webpage, and they pulled it down because Christians are starting to sniff them out. Right. But why are people following a white European guy into these organizations that seem to call he would be the ultimate apex oppressor uh, because again the world of academia can make it sound so um approachable or can make it sound something that will work there are people in the academia uh community who are saying that we've got to do away with capitalism with the the value system that people have and we use that word redistribute uh, wealth so that everybody will have. Okay. Yeah, How's that going to work? It's what? How's it going to work? 
That I don't know. <laughs> but think about this, though. Think about this. Let's go back again to being believers. As a believer, based on my totally committed life to Christ, I am I'm wealthy. I'm blessed. Uh, God has been so good to us. I have no worries. Um, I'm, and we're able to bless others. That's what we're able to do. We want to do is be able to bless others. And, and God blesses us for that purpose. So I don't understand this thing. Um, but I do understand people are ignorant and they will not seek knowledge because that's what it's going to take to combat what's happening in our world today. Well, there's kind of a mixed message here because the people who are preaching this uh, in academia mostly are, are people of wealth and means. Yeah. Uh, they're mostly white people. And, and it's really interesting to me because it's just really interesting to me because they are unwilling to make the sacrifices needed that others are making. But here's the other thing. If you look at the global historical scene, again, again educating ourselves globally and historically, mm -hmm. Jesus was born into poverty. Mm -hmm. Jesus did not have a home, Luke chapter mm -hmm. 9. So, mm -hmm. to, to the, so the very fact that we say we need to bring the wealth from here to here opposes Jesus' non-teaching about it. Mm -hmm. there, there was He never taught about that because it was just part of the culture. But now we're in this first world, wealthy American culture. And mm -hmm. so maybe out of our own guilt, because we're not giving. So now I don't like the word redistribution, but I give 10% off the top goes, goes to mostly to foreign countries. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, Maybe there's guilt associated with the fact that these people aren't giving. I don't. I don't know, and I don't want to get into it. But I want to move to re reason number four. Okay. Okay. I hope we're doing okay with. This. Oh, I think we're doing awesome. So reason. Okay. I think there are plenty. We have a lot of people who are either mad, cheering, or just are flat out or just unsubscribe. So and that's fine because I I will take a hit for Jesus according to Second Timothy three twelve that says for the godly in Christ we persecuted. So mm -hmm. anyway, or should I say oppressed? Maybe they, they would rather have me say oppressed. So okay. Mm -hmm. So he reason number four why intersectionality opposes biblical Christianity is this: intersectionality teaches strategic and systemic deconstruction of the Judeo. Christian marriage and family model. Let me give mm -hmm. you an example. Mm -hmm. There's a phrase. I was riding my Peloton bike yesterday and my little teacher, she's an ex-USC cheerleader. She's now in New York. She kept referring to your partner, your partner, your partner, your partner, mm -hmm. your partner. Well, mm -hmm. in her white heterosexual female mind, she's thinking a person's husband or wife, but she's mm -hmm. using the phrase partner. The mm -hmm. word partner is an intersectionality phrase mm -hmm. to eliminate the fact that in biblical Christianity, it is a husband or a wife. Oh, right. So the yes. fact that you remove the word husband or wife from a, a, a statement on marriage is saying any kind of marriage in God's eyes is the same. And it's just mm -hmm. not true because in Genesis mm -hmm. chapter 2, verse 24, God himself said, for this reason, a man mm -hmm. will leave his father and mother and will join to his wife, wife yes. and they'll become one flesh. So, And then on the BLM website, Arvati uh, took this off before they pulled it down. On the BLM website, they wrote, quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and a village that collectively cares for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, children are comfortable. So do you agree with that statement that intersectionality is strategic and systemic in deconstructing the Judeo-Christian motto? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And 
I've long said, Jim, that I just believe that the the family, uh, God's first institution, is the target for much of this. This the devil is after destroying the family, the husband, wife, children dynamic of a family, and giving us now two guys, two women, you know, uh, two uh, two women, a guy, whatever they wanted to be. That's not God. God's mm-hmm. description, God's guidelines says a man and his wife. And the wife is a female. Okay. <laughs> you got to be careful there because there are some that are calling themselves wives. And uh, they're as much male as I am. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they're raising children. They got children coming up in this confusion. Like everything goes. It doesn't matter. But with God, it does matter. So yeah. I, I believe that that institution the family, the Adam and Eve structure that God came and put together who had children, that is Satan's ultimate goal is to tear up God's institution. I don't know how else to build on that statement. I think it's pretty simple, right? This is an attack. It is a blatant, strategic, systemic, and and we see this in two places. We see this in in higher education. Mm Mm-hmm. Our kids go away to school. They pay $100,000 to have their lives mm-hmm. ruined and yeah. get no job. Correct. And so right. that's a problem. And we also see it in the media. Man, I was watching. My granddaughter came over. We're watching Shrek, of all okay. things. Shrek 2. Yeah. I, I, and it, I'm sitting there watching Shrek. And I mean, I'm like, I'm a, you know, I'm I, I'm not into Shrek. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll watch it with my granddaughter. And mm-hmm. in Shrek, there are two transgender, what are they called? Trolls? What are they? I don't know what, what Shrek was. It uh, is he a troll? No, he wasn't a troll. He was a uh, ogre. Was, okay. There are two yeah. transgender ogres, and so our children are getting this, and it's becoming nor- hallmark now. Is glorifying uh, the 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 homosexual lifestyle now. Correct. Uh, it's like Correct. it's it's become insanity. So I don't I don't know what else to say except this, Elmo. Intersection sec- <laughs> intersectionality, strategically and systemically deconstructs the Judeo-Christian marriage and family, mm-hmm. period. Drop the mic. Amen. I agree totally with you. And uh, I'm I'm sorry to say today that when I have friends who tell me that their son or daughter is getting married, I wait, I pause, because I'm so afraid I'm going to hear that they're marrying um, another woman or another guy, mm. and I shared that with a pastor friend of mine yesterday, I was telling him, you were blessed that your son sought out a woman and he's marrying her because that's not the accepted norm per se today. It is in the life of us believers, yes, but not the norm for the world. And everything yeah. goes. Everything, everything goes. does go, which leads me to reason five. Now, there may be more reasons, Elmo, Uh, And Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you at the end if I've missed a reason, but reason five is this. This kind of goes along with reason four. Reason number five is that intersectionality, again, we're moving way beyond race here, right? Mm -hmm. Intersectionality Mm -hmm. defends and glorifies and justifies. So I'm going to say that again. Mm -hmm. Intersectionality defends, glorifies, and justifies sexual sins such as homosexuality, transgenderism, Mm -hmm. pedophilia. Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. any other sexual sin you can imagine, and they actually call these things normal and natural. We're mm-hmm. moving to a place where a pedophile that's going to be seen as not only normal but natural. Mm-hmm. You were yeah. born that way, right? And right. so, am I wrong? Am I right here? Wrong here? What are your thoughts about reason number five? 
and intersectionality. I believe you're right on. We are seeing more and more uh, conversation today from the medical profession of all oh, that um, the whole thing of uh, uh, pedophilia, um, you know, uh, and, and pedophiles and all, or are not really that bad. Uh, I think they are. <laughs> I think they're horrible, okay? Uh, and I'm glad I've never had to experience uh, any of them, or I don't know where I would be today. But the whole name of the game is, here we go, without the Lord, Jim, without the Holy Spirit leading us, we have no boundaries. Exactly we have, right. We have no boundaries. You know, what? what is there to stop us from moving to animals next? By doing all manner of things. There are no boundaries. And that's what being a believer a follower of Christ, it doesn't entangle us again, it doesn't bind us up, but it frees us to truly follow him and know that there is a right and there's a wrong. Well, Jesus said, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. I mean, Jesus came to bring freedom. And and I don't know about you, Elmo, but the beautiful thing about freedom to me Mm -hmm. is freedom just isn't isn't free in the sense of do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Freedom Mm -hmm. comes with boundaries. Absolutely. And because true freedom is not the ability, and guys, listen to what I'm saying here. This is important. Mm-hmm. True freedom is not the ability to do whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the ability to say no mm-hmm. to whatever you want. If mm-hmm. you can't say no to your sexual desires, to uh, uh, substance desires, to the things you say in your, out of your mouth, you are not mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came to set you free. Free. And to make you free indeed, genuinely, yep. truly free. Man, Not that's that's so good, man. Yeah. So I'm gonna read another quote and I'm gonna this is the last thing I got for you. Then I'm gonna turn it over to you, man, to do a mic drop moment. So Vodi Vadi Bakum, check, check, check. Vadi Bakum says this, and I think we need to end or get close to ending on this. <laughs> when it comes to intersexual when it comes to this worldview. When it comes to this world revival of intersectionality, Vadi writes, quote, we must, Christians, repel the wolves. Yes, Mm -hmm. wolves are many. However, this is within the gates and has the worst of intentions. He desires to use your genuine love for the brethren as leverage. Don't Mm -hmm. let him. Recognize the difference between the voice of the good shepherd who calls you to love all the sheep and the voice of the enemy that tells you some of them are guilty, blind, ignorant oppressors, and that others are oppressed, all mm-hmm. based on their mel- melanin, mm-hmm. their pigment. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a great quote? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just think that's great. So so here's my question, man. I, you know, I know that there are many other reasons, but are, are there any other reasons from your perspective why intersectionality is antithetical to biblical Christianity? No, I can't think of any at the moment, but I can tell you that, Jim, we can never forget that the ultimate uh, conflict here is between God and the devil. Yes. And God does not use his followers as the devil as pawns to promote, you know, per se what he's doing. Uh, I'm talking about the enemy itself and what he's, set out to do but that's our battle when we start talking about biblical uh, justice versus social justice it's god against the devil uh we start talking about intersectionality and critical race theory i don't care what you call it if it's not of god following the word of god is of the devil the bottom line well and i and think I'll, the yeah go ahead sorry no no go ahead 
Well, I think the key that we've tried to do today, Elmo, I hope we succeeded. I think we did is to say, listen, guys, there's a reason why your, your spirit has tension. There's a reason why your spirit is conflicted when you hear words like privilege or anti-racism or mm -hmm, partner mm -hmm. or feeling safe or oppressed. There's a reason why, because God's spirit in you, you know, in John chapter 13 or 14, Jesus says, my spirit will be with you and he will be mm -hmm. in you. And when mm -hmm. your spirit is not at peace, it could be because the Holy Spirit inside of you is warning you that this is not from him. Absolutely. And and, I, and what we're trying to say today, Elmo, is that intersectionality opposes and strategically tries to deconstruct biblical Christianity. We mm -hmm. are at war with the enemy, and the enemy is using this tool right mm -hmm. now. Absolutely, he is. And I think that's what we have to remember, because I'm going to introduce this. We'll talk about it at a later time. Uh, one of the things that uh, has appeared on the scene with us and some of the people that we thought were following of Christ is this whole thing of the black Hebrew. What? And <laughs> That's new to me. Yeah. Well, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. That's why I said I'll introduce it. We'll talk about this a little <laughs> bit later. But so many people of color be getting caught up in this black Hebrew thing and uh, biblically are trying to uh, support the belief that the, the the real Jews are black and that the problem, in, and, and please brace yourself for this. It goes back to what we've been saying, but now there's a different spin because Satan is very cunning. What they are saying, and I know somebody who's very close to me is teaching this, is that the problem with the black community, uh, the black man, is that he has been fooled to follow a blonde blue-eyed Jesus. And I can't get my head wrapped around this, but whenever the truth is revealed, then it's going to remedy all of the problems in the black community. No. The truth, <laughs> of, the the truth of the matter is, what remedies and problems in any community or in our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Praise God. And when, yeah. you, when you come to Christ, I don't care who you are, what you are, what you've done, and you truly are born again, you embrace, you are the recipient of a new life. Yep. And more important to me and Therese today than money and possessions is the peace and the joy that comes with knowing the Lord. And I think that's a great one to end on, man. I think you are absolutely right. You know, now let me just say this one last thing. <laughs> Would you agree with me, though, that Jesus was a man of color and oh, the yeah. color wasn't white? Exactly. Okay. What I mean, so we agree. What, we agree. But does it matter? It, my, it, you took the words <laughs> out of my mouth, Jim. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't care what color he is. I'm just glad he came to save a red <laughs> man like Praise me. the Lord. Yes. Okay. Why are we putting, <laughs> see, <laughs> Would, would probably, again, taking a worldview and trying to uh, make it work in the biblical views in with God, color doesn't matter. Well, you know, it's, fu <laughs> it's funny. I produced a series of videos over Christmas time mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just, you know, ways guys could lead their families. And I said, here's a, here's a fun way to lead the family. When you look at that manger scene and you see little white baby Jesus, white Mary and Joseph, realize that he wasn't white. He was mm -hmm. a man of color. Man, they, I got called woke. You're woke. You're this. I'm like, man, you're calling me woke. Are you? I'm like so anti intersectionality. You can't believe it, yeah. man. I got called out 
I'm and, sure. And I think that's because of this black Hebrew theory that you've been talking about. <laughs> right. But, but when you think about it, all of the biblical characters were people who had, I think, some pretty color. Okay. Had yeah. some really nice color. And, uh, but it wasn't. It wasn't a matter of concern. It wasn't a thing that separated people per se, but man, we do it today. We do it so badly today. And we well, do it in the church. In well, the we did Christ. it. They did it in Jesus' day. I mean, remember in John chapter four, uh, they're going from uh, Judea to Galilee. Mm-hmm. And Jesus goes, Hey, we're going to go to Samaria. And they're like, mm-hmm, Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. We're going to hit the, you know, head east. Hit, you know, mm-hmm. hit the Jordan River, head north, mm-hmm. bypass mm-hmm. Samaria, cut over. He goes, no, we're going right through. And mm-hmm. then John, John was so, he was so upset. John records in John chapter four, and Jesus had to go through Samaria. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw racism back then, right? But, it's, yeah, uh, but yeah. They, but they were all the same color, though. I mean, exactly. you know. Exactly. <laughs> that's where your intersectionality comes in, because then you also, and that's another thing intersectional, uh, intersectionality brings in, is this class identity thing, too. Oh. So, and we didn't even talk about that today, but that's one of the things that's a part of that is the class identity because it all goes back to the critical race theory thing that's all about uh, identity. Um, it's all about, uh, I'm, I'm lost with the word now, it's all about your identity uh, that mm. makes the difference, okay? Who cares? Wow. Man? Well, hey, Who man, cares? you you make a list of things we need to talk about. Okay. And uh, we'll go deep next time. Uh, I thought that okay. day was pretty good, though. I think we did accomplish our goal of educating our guys about why okay. mm-hmm. intersectionality opposes biblical Christianity. So, Absolutely. Elmo, man, thanks so much for coming on. Thank it's you. always uh, so good to hang out with you, man. And yeah. I look forward to seeing you soon, brother. Thank you, my brother, and God bless. Our man laws are supplied for the most part, by you, our champions. And again, if we use yours, hit us up. We'll send you some swag. This week's man law comes to us from push-up challenge finisher, Nathan Johnson. Nathan is wearing this shirt as well as all of our push-up challenge finishers are. And Nathan says this, always be able to do more push-ups than your wife. Couldn't be said a more truer statement. Thank you for that, Nathan. Man, make sure you head on over to our website at meninarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. Also, if you're interested, make sure you sign up for the 2023 Fitness Challenge Coast to Coast. You can sign up until the end of January. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.